Hello and welcome to Theology and Coffee, the podcast that gives you bite-sized theology for life on the go. From creeds, catechisms, church fathers to biblical theology, this podcast is the one-stop shop to get you more literate when it comes to understanding God, the meaning of life and the universe. Your hosts will sometimes be me, Chris Wickland, and sometimes my wife, Tracy Wickland. So get the kettle on, pour your favourite brew, get your Bible and your notebook out, and let's do Theology and Coffee. Hello, I'm Tracy Wickland, and I'm going to start us off with a um, background to a bit of theology and what we're going to be doing and what we're going to be studying and what we're going to be talking about. So, contrary to what you might think, theology can actually be a hugely exciting experience. It can be an adventure. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, said that theology was a waste of time and should not even be called an ology, a study at all. But that is a two-dimensional view. For us, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled, triune, three-dimensional believers, it can become a joy. Theology literally means the study of God. How could it not be a joy? It's the study of God. It's the study of his nature, his interaction with man, his interaction with the world and everything in it. The Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. As we take the time and put in the effort to learn a little theology, it fills our minds with truth about God and that filters through to our souls and feeds the fruit of our love for him. It's a bit like going on holiday to a new place. We get excited to explore the area, to discover new things. We want to become more familiar with our surroundings. So let's start us off easy and sink our toes into the sand of theology as we flick through some vocabulary we might encounter along the way. As we said, theology simply means the study of God. Doctrine means teaching. And what we want to come out of all of this is some sound doctrine, some good teaching. Dogma means that which is believed to be good thinking. Uh, We may have heard of creeds like the Apostles' Creed, for example. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. That word creed comes from the Latin credo, which simply means, I believe. These these creeds are great for simple, straightforward, no-nonsense declarations of our faith. We believe. And then you get the different ways to look at theology. They're all different and they're all useful. We have biblical theology, we have historical theology, we have practical theology and we have systematic theology. Biblical theology makes an orderly arrangement of the Bible's teaching. It sees Christ throughout all scripture and it will examine things like Pauline theology, covenantal theology. You may have heard of some of these things. Historical theology is where we look at the way the church has received, articulated and lived out its teachings and its beliefs over the centuries. It examines the development of theology. It highlights errors that we've made along the way. It will dig into early church history, culture, beliefs and examine people and thoughts and what they were thinking and what they were doing, like um, the early church fathers, for example. Then we have practical theology, which is where we look at what we believe and how that works out in practice. It asks questions like, what's going on? Why is it going on? What ought to be going on? And how do we then respond? It attempts to strengthen that relationship between our beliefs and our actions. 
why we do what we do. And then you have systematic theology. This puts everything in a nice orderly fashion. It's a tidy, coherent account of our doctrines, our teachings. Uh, you may have heard of some of them like Christology or demonology or that hot potato eschatology. Some I hadn't heard of include things like pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, harmatology, which is the study of sin, or teleology, which apparently doesn't include movie night, but it is the study of God's design and purpose for the world. So why, just why do we study theology? Why do I care? How does it help me on everyday Monday mornings? Well, when we do study theology, we're following in good footsteps. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the early church daily devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the teaching. Studying theology will give us clarification. It clarifies what we believe and affirms what we stand for as a community of believers. It gives us integration, where we bring our knowledge and our beliefs and our actions closer together. It brings us correction. In Ephesians 4.13, we're exhorted as a community of believers to keep a unity of faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. It keeps us all on the same page. We know what we believe and we know why we believe it. It can keep us on the straight and narrow we will be quicker to spot error. Charles Spurgeon said, it's easy to spot the difference between right and wrong. It's harder to spot the difference between right and almost right. When we have sound doctrine and we know it, error becomes more glaringly obvious. Especially as Pentecostals and Charismatics, we like visions, we like prophecies, we like biblical meditation and contemplative prayer. They can bring a richness to our faith. But to safely enjoy these things, we need to know our theology. We need sound doctrine to undergird these spiritual gifts and experience. I once knew a man who'd had a vision of a couple of Bible characters. He'd chatted with the guys in his vision, and unfortunately he'd formed a doctrine out of these visionary conversations. And much worse, they were not biblically sound ideas that he had. He'd say things like, but my vision said, but it was contrary to scripture. And this is where we're in dangerous territory. We need a firm foundation of solid, sound doctrine to know when something's a little bit off. If our vision or our prophecy is contrary to scripture, then our vision or our prophecy is wrong. When we take a scripture to meditate on it, we don't examine the Greek or the rest of the chapter or the rest of the book or the rest of the Bible, or the history or the culture or the context. But we must have a background knowledge of the nature of God. We must have a platform of sound doctrine and theology as our springboard that takes us into all of these things. Otherwise, we can risk idolatry and we can create a God of our own imagination. We also study theology for declaration. We can stand firm and proclaim to a watching world, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give a defence to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. The Greek there is apologia. It's a reasoned legal defence. It's also where we get the word apologetics from. We often use the infamous quote by Francis of Assisi about preaching the gospel to all creatures and using words if necessary to um, make an excuse for our lack of proclaiming the gospel, to um, bolster a social gospel of actions only. 
But the truth of this quote can't be found in any of St. Francis's teaching. He didn't apparently say it. And it doesn't line up with scripture. Romans 10.14 says, How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? So we need to make sure when we have all these things and we hear all these things and we see all these things, that we have our firm foundation in scripture, that we know our ology, that we know our theology. As we study theology to challenge, we, it's a challenge. We study theology to challenge. We challenge a modern world. We challenge a modern church. We have a point by point truth about our unchanging God. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Saviour and Lord. As we study theology, as we study God himself, we grow in our relationship with him. Studying theology leads us to joy. It leads us to worship. It leads us to adoration, to awe, to wonder and to thanksgiving. As Jesus says in John 17, eternal life is knowing God. And now it's time for Weird Facts in Church History. Okay, today's fun fact is called Baptism Happy Hour. Now, I need to warn you because this is uh, church theology, we're going to look at all aspects of church history and church traditions. So you've got Catholic, Eastern Orthodox and Protestant. And today's story comes from the 13th century and obviously the Catholic Church. Now, the responsible use of alcohol has long been an important part of Generally, most Christian cultures, um, you know, we've seen priests consecrate wine at the Eucharist. Uh, we have had beer gardens at our parish festivals. Well, not mine. And of course, we all know that monks make the best beer, right? Water is boring. Beer is cool. So why not baptize with it? Now, if you've had similar thoughts, then maybe you need to reread your Bible a little bit. But uh, apparently there were regions in Norway in the 13th century that had little water, but abundant beer. Although I am left asking the question, if beer is made up of 99% water, I wonder where that water went. But anyway, so in 13th century Norway, they had little water but abundant beer. And some Catholics started using their local ale as the laver of regeneration. Now, the practice was significant enough that Pope Gregory IX actually had to intervene to stop it. In a letter to the Archbishop of Trodenhem, the Pope wrote, Since according to the gospel teaching, a man must be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, those are not to be considered validly baptised who have been baptised with beer. And I bet the Norwegians were very upset about that. Well, that's all we got time for. If you've got any comments or questions, please email us admin at lwcn.uk. And until next time, have a great day.